Americans. This is the Urbane Cowboys podcast with Josiah Neely of R Street Institute and Doug McCullough of Lone Star Policy Institute. Good day. Howdy, y'all. Welcome to the Urbane Cowboys podcast. I'm Josiah Neely with the R Street Institute. I am not Doug McCullough with the Lone Star Policy Institute. My beloved co-host is sick with the flu and so won't be able to join us today. We do have a distinguished guest joining us, uh, and that is uh, Mr. Benjamin Backer, who is the president of ACC, the American Conservation Coalition. Uh, so, Benji, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's great to be here. I, uh, I don't know if I'm distinguished, but man, I am on this program and I am excited to be talking to you. You are the most distinguished guest that we have on the program at the current time. I will at least say that. What, are you um, filling your time with people like Eli Lair? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I'm not talking about past guests. I'm talking about uh, right now. Oh, right now? Oh, that's not right true. Now. That's not true. <laughs> no. <laughs> have you looked in the mirror? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not a guest, my friend. I'm not a guest. I'm the host. That is true. I am the only guest. It's kind of like I am my, I am my parents' favorite son, but I right. am their only son. So yeah. it's perfect. Yeah, yeah, it works out. Okay. So uh, we, we want to talk a lot of, uh, about uh, a lot of stuff, uh, environmental issues, youth politics, etc. cetera. Uh, but first, maybe you could just give us a little bit about who you are, uh, your background, and then what ACC is. Sounds good. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm the president and founder of the American Conservation Coalition, which is a market-based environmental organization. It's really a grassroots movement towards more common sense environmental values. We are fairly young in terms of our team and our audience, um, but we're growing past that even. Uh, we're on 190 college campuses. Uh, nationwide, growing presence on Capitol Hill for sure, uh, and playing a big role in kind of shaping a new environmental movement that's rooted in reality and uh, things that people can really get behind instead of some of the alarmist uh, kind of approaches that have been used in the past couple of decades. I'm a huge iced tea fan. I'm a I'm an eater of cheese because I come from the yeah. state of Wisconsin. The drink or the wrapper. Uh, you know, why not both? But I was talking about, uh, the drink, which I am actually sipping on right now in between breaths, uh, when you're talking. So please talk more so I can drink more iced tea. Um, but, uh, at the end of the day, I'm also a proud cheesehead, Harold from the state of Wisconsin, uh, but I'm current senior at the university of Washington in beautiful Seattle. Okay. Yes. And I, I also am a big uh, tea drinker. I don't drink coffee. I had a traumatic experience as a child. So I, I, I also have a, a giant uh, cup of uh, green tea that I'm, that I'm sipping on. So this is, you know, we, we don't have sponsors on this show. If we did, you know, the tea people should really be paying us uh, a lot of money because earned media for them, I guess. Yeah, you know, um, it is definitely earned media, but I don't know if I would do. I would. I would probably go Gold Peak. That's probably my favorite tea brand. Uh huh. Okay. All right. So I if we, if, if you do get sponsors, let me know. I'll reach out to them. I I I, I will. Yeah, you probably probably could make it happen because you've done a lot of stuff. So uh, how, how long has it been around? Uh, it has been around for about two and a half years. Okay. Uh, we founded it in the summer of 2017, kind of in the heat of. Uh, this 
transition of conservatives denying climate change and saying that climate change was not a threat and that it was actually really good to emit more carbon um, to a more uh, realistic approach of, yes, we do have an impact on our environment. Um, but we also believe that a lot of the times climate change overshadows other environmental issues like conservation issues, national park issues, ocean issues. And so we really wanted to create a movement that tackled all environmental issues, including climate change, and help transition the Republican Party and the conservative movement to being a more pro-environmental movement uh, and one that worked across party lines uh, on these issues, but also proposed its own you know, solutions instead of it just being a one-sided, one-size-fits-all approach. Yeah. So I just, you know, for for uh, clarity and context, because um, you mentioned that, you know, you founded the the group two and a half years ago or whatever. And you also mentioned that you're still in you're still in school and you're not like a Van Wilder type. You're not like 35 still in school. Right. I am a 22 year old that is a senior. So I'm yeah. right on target. I don't embarrass you or anything, but, you know, it's just, <laughs> I actually, it, you you embarrass me sometimes because I, I I look uh, at some other people. I, I won't name names, but you know, uh, old fogies who you know are like, man, what you know? We worked a lot uh, to get here. You know, we we work and work, and then there's Benji Backer. You know, twenty two year old kid. He's already because <laughs> because you know the other thing is, uh, you know, for some of the listeners who may not follow this that well, despite the fact that you're you know, pretty young and the organization is pretty new, you've had a lot of successes just in terms of, uh, you know, working with the EPA, with members of Congress, with other things, you know, so may- maybe talk a little bit about, it. you know, if you yeah. want to brag on yourself a little bit. <laughs> well, we've accomplished a lot uh, as a team and as a movement uh, because the market was there. I mean, people wanted young people to speak out on these issues. They also wanted realistic solutions on these issues. And they also wanted bipartisanship. And we bring all three of those to the table. So that's been really where the brunt of our successes come from. But yeah, I mean, I testified at Congress with Greta Thunberg, which was a, an amazing honor. Um, and we obviously had different approaches, but uh, it was a very high profile opportunity to share a market-based approach to climate change and reducing emissions via technology and innovation and and all sorts of approaches instead of just you know relying on the Green New Deal. Um, we have signed a partnership with the EPA and we've gotten to become fairly close with uh, a lot of the members of Congress who are working on these issues because they deserve the support. Uh, Republicans who have worked on environmental issues for a long time have not received any support for what they're doing. Um, and they are endorsed against every single election um, just because of the R next to their name. So, you know, we've we, we've really staked our claim as an organization that will support people who are good on the environmental issues, uh, even if they have an R next to their name. And so uh, we've gotten close with people like uh, Lisa Murkowski and uh, John Curtis and Kathy McMorris-Rogers and others who are kind of leading the charge uh, on the Republican side who are undervalued in the environmental community for sure. Um, The 190 college campuses I touched on earlier are huge, uh, but we've also been active in the passage of like a dozen bills in Congress, um, including the biggest public lands package uh, in United States history uh, that was signed into law last year. And really what it's proven to the 
broader public because of all the national media that we've gotten and this great movement we've created uh, that our team has created we've 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 made it obvious that unlike other political issues the environment is something that is able you, you are able to find common ground and that doesn't mean it's always going to be there there are definitely differences between us and you know uh a Kathy Castor or a Democrat or, or whatever, they're definitely ideological differences. But unlike other issues, we end up having the exact same end goal, which is cleaner beaches, cleaner air, cleaner water, preserve wildlife and conserve wildlife for future generations and, and keeping our lands uh, protected. I mean, these are things that almost all Americans can agree on. We just have different ways of getting there. And we've proven that unlike what people thought four years ago or three years ago before our organization was founded, Republicans do care about the environment. Conservatives do care about the environment just as much as people on the other side of the aisle do. And that there are solutions that are out there that fit every political mold. Um, And that's why we've grown so fast. That's why we're getting close to members of Congress. That's why we're testifying in front of Congress. That's why, you know, we've, we've created a movement of thousands of people who believe in the same thing that we do. So, um, Again, the market was ripe, which was helpful that we were kind of the first organization to be spurred in this space. There are a lot of great think tanks like R Street and ClearPath and um, Crest and and others that work on these issues, but there really wasn't uh, an advocacy group, a grassroots group, and that's that's the that's the mold we fit. So there definitely seems to have been a shift uh, over the last uh, few years within the Republican Party in terms of this issue, I remember it wasn't too long ago where, you know, the general line uh, among conservatives and Republican office holders was climate change, you know, well, it would it would range from uh, climate change is just not really a serious issue all the way to climate change is a hoax, you know, uh, possibly invented by the Chinese. And that's that. That seems to have uh, changed. You know, the Republicans have just announced that they are going to be coming forward with a, you know, kind of omnibus climate bill. McCarthy uh, has said this. There's been a lot of movement on the. I mean, there's there's always been a couple of stall. You know, folks like Lindsey Graham in the Senate who've been interested, but there there are a lot more now. Uh, Senator Romney, other folks, and then also even, even in, you know, in the House, you think of people like Representative Matt Gates, right, who has been very outspoken right. on this issue. He's not, he's not a Diet Coke version of a Republican, <laughs> if I, if that metaphor makes sense, right, right. And then of course, you know, even, even uh, President Trump, who in the past has expressed a lot of skepticism about climate change, uh, last. Like, I don't know, a week or two ago, you know, gave a statement saying, oh, yeah, you know, it's not a it's not a hoax. And, you know, we we should do something about it. You know, blah, 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 blah. Why do you think it is that conservatives have traditionally tended to be a little bit more skeptical about, you know, the seriousness of this as an issue that you really need to tackle? And then what's changed where, you know, people are, are kind of more coming around on it? Yeah, I think it really came down to the fact that young people, regardless of their political ideology, have been demanding it. I'm really excited about the movement that we've seen. Republicans do have a plan on climate for the first time ever. Four years ago, there were almost zero Republicans who were speaking out that climate change was even real. 
And now we're in 2020 and Republicans have a plan. They literally have a plan. They have bills on the floor. There's 12 that were proposed in uh, Greg Walden's 12 and 20 plan, 12 realistic climate policies. All of them have bipartisan support. Then McCarthy last week announced three or four pieces of legislation that tackle these exact issues that have bipartisan support or or will have bipartisan support. This has happened because of organizations like ours standing up and saying, we are going to hold Republicans accountable for the lack of environmental action that's been happening. Um, and we're going to hold Democrats accountable too, because they have played politics on this for so long. And now you've got people who were former climate deniers working on real climate policies. You have people who weren't outspoken at all being some of the biggest advocates. And despite the media not really covering it, you actually have both sides at the table on these issues. And again, it all heralds from young people who believe that climate change is important. They wanted a voice. They wanted both sides to work together and they've been demanding it. So Republicans and Democrats are looking at the polls and they're hearing from their constituents that that they need to stop playing partisan politics on the environment and that if they don't put climate policies at the forefront of their platform or if they don't um, you know do work to protect the national parks that they're going to get voted out and in hearing that from both sides which before is just one side has just propelled the conversation to the forefront and I don't think it's any secret that when Republicans started talking about climate change in a major way, was the same time that our organization started to gain a lot of traction because they were hearing it f- from the left and the right um, for the first time ever because of organizations like ACC and other groups in the space. And I hate to toot our own horn, but I mean the the it is there. If you the, don't the proof who, is you know, if you don't who will right? You know exactly. You have to be your biggest advocate. Right. Uh, but that, it, it is true, though. You know we have help spur this conversation, but it's young people. And it's also just proven the the, the power of young people, um, not only in the grassroots space, but in, in office. I mean, Elise Stefanik kind of was a was another lead of this. She was one of the first people when she was elected as as the youngest woman uh, to be elected to, to the U.S. Congress, when she put forward that climate resolution that said climate change is real and Republicans need to do something about it, that was the start of it all. Um, and that's around the time that our organization was founded. And, and you had, I think like 17 or 18 Republicans sign on to that. No one knew that existed in the public eye. They're like, wait, 18 Republicans in Congress believe climate change is real. That's crazy. Every time I would tell people that that's what they would say. And now it's in the hundreds. I mean, it is so exciting. And you know what changed that? College students with the ACC and young members of Congress, like Elise Stefanik, Brian Mast, Will Hurd, Mia Love, Mike Gallagher, Jamie Herrera Butler. It is really cool how big of a voice young people are playing in the environmental community, in the Republican Party, and in politics as a whole that have moved this conversation forward to a historic level that, again, isn't being covered enough. Yeah. Let me ask about the specific youth politics aspect of it, because I mean, you mentioned that you, you know Greta Thunberg uh, a minute ago, and there does seem to have been a trend recently for uh, young or even very young people to be kind of front and center on a lot of political issues in a way that I don't think was true in the past, right? So, 
you know, the climate issue with, with folks like you on one side and Greta on the other, you were not Times Person of the Year, I, 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 I you know, for full disclosure, right? So she In a different lifetime, I might have been. Yeah, that's true. that's true. Well, you still have another shot, right? They give one every year. So, um, but there's that. And, and then... Uh, <laughs> And then, you know, uh, like in gun control, I know there are, fo- there, there are kind of like uh, David, is it David Hogg, I guess? Yeah, David Hogg. Yeah. And then there are other folks, uh, you know, from the same school that are involved on the other side of the issue. When you think of like some of the stuff maybe with the Dreamers as well. What, like, what do you think is driving that? Because the, you know, historically, and I think this is the general perception, and and I also would say, you know, if I'm going to be honest, there's maybe even a little truth to it, is that most young people tend to be kind of disengaged from politics. You know, they don't vote in high numbers. They're kind of focused on other things. Uh, and then B, that, you know, if they are involved, uh, it's either in some sort of um, entry-level role or some sort of kind of counter to the system, like manning the barricades, not talking to congressmen thing. So why is it that, that you see so much youth out front on a whole host of, of issues recently? Yeah, I mean, that's a really, really great question with a lot of really true points. Um, you're seeing more young people speak out about it now than ever before, especially on climate change, because they can see it firsthand. They can access the data really easily. They can access the research, but they also can see the results of environmental degradation firsthand on social media or in their classes. So there's a little bit of extra passion that's that gets fueled from seeing it firsthand, which in other generations wasn't possible, um, which is honestly a blessing that we have that ability. But you're right. The biggest problem with our generation and with every young generation before is that we speak loud and proud, but then we don't go and vote and we don't actually hold our leaders accountable and you take a, a person like David Hogg and Greta Thunberg and, you know, people, they should have a lot of credit given to them for taking the issue to a national and international stage. But then what's the next step? Like if you care about it and you've made awareness on it and you're protesting and people are sort of paying attention and they know that that issue is important to you, you that, that can't be it. Like you can't just keep protesting and expect something different to happen. And that's where our, that's where our organization differs is saying, okay, now people know that climate change is an issue to our generation, but let's go have cordial meetings with members of Congress on it instead of doing sit-ins, you know, or sit outside their office with a thousand students um, who they probably assume aren't going to vote anyways. Um, Let's have cordial conversations with them. Let's, educate people and do things on the ground with grassroots advocacy to pass bills and to tell companies to change the way that they're doing things and empower individuals to make individual changes um, to help out the environment. There are ways to kind of take that awareness to the next step. And that's where our generation has failed. However, why people are taking young people seriously on climate change is that it's proven through lots of polls and research that unlike other issues, people do vote on climate change. It is the number one issue, if you pair it with other environmental issues, the number one issue when young people go to the ballot box. The key point is when they go to the ballot right. box. It's, you're, and you're talking specifically are. about uh, young people, right? Exactly. Yeah. Specifically millennials, the younger end of millennials and Gen Z. So 
if that's what people are voting on and they actually are voting and they are taking it to the next step and they aren't just protesting and then stopping there, you have to pay attention to them. And I see no better issue for young people to have their voice heard than on climate change. Okay. Well, maybe we could, so let's talk maybe about some specific uh, ideas or themes because I know there are a lot of people out there uh, who are, conservative or right of center and they're interested in doing something on climate or on environmental issues you know as the president said everybody wants clean air clean water but then they look and they see something like the green new deal which seems to be very uh extreme and associated with all sorts of other stuff that has nothing to do directly necessarily with the environment, like universal health care or, you know, guaranteed jobs or other stuff. So if someone, you know, so I think understandably a lot of people are turned off by that. So what is the alternative or alternatives? Yeah. So that's a, that's a great point. A lot of people have been turned off by the politicized topic of environmentalism. And what I say to people who have been is that, is I say, if you're turned off by that, then create your own agenda, create your own platform, create your own strategy for solving these issues instead of letting a side that you disagree with take it and run with it because eventually they get what they want. And if we don't have any sort of opposing ideas or solutions, then we do get stuck with something that we don't like. That's how politics works. So that's what I, I mean, that frustration is so valid. Like it is dumb and it is completely asinine for a, a group like the Sierra Club, which prides itself publicly with being an environmentalist organization, to take an abortion stance and an immigration stance and healthcare stances into consideration with endorsements for an environmental scorecard. Like that is crazy. Right. So if you don't like that, instead of just like hating on it or you don't like the Green New Deal, instead of hating on it, come up with your own solution. And that is what we're so focused on is saying, you know, we disagree with those things too, but it's time for an alternative. So what, what does that alternative look like? And that's, that's the million dollar question for us. It's not a one size fits all answer. You can't just have, um, one green new deal or one carbon tax or like one, one specific policy and solve climate change. There are people actually a lot of people who believe that there is a one size fits all policy, but the reality of the situation is that climate change and other environmental issues and every political issue is complicated. But specifically on the environment, you've got local stakeholders, you've got state stakeholders, you've got federal stakeholders, you have wildlife to take consideration of, you have transportation, you have uh, the energy industry, you have the farming industry, you have corporations, you have the national security aspect. There are so many different variables to environmental issues, whether it's climate change or not, that you have to take into consideration. So the best way to do that is to propose solutions to each part of it. So for example, on the energy side, instead of just having a blanket uh, policy for all of climate change, maybe you do something to enhance battery storage technologies in um, for, for clean energy sources, or you help get carbon capture, which takes carbon out, out of the atmosphere and puts it back into the ground, get that off the ground. Um, and leaning on markets and technology, because at the end of the day, companies 
markets, competition, individual consumer choice have the ability to make changes every single day, day by day. Whereas the government, you have to rely on elected officials who we have seen firsthand in the past few decades, especially since I've been alive, are not worth relying on and you cannot rely on them. Um, so you, we, we have to focus on some of these smaller scale solutions. So, I mean, there are so many solutions. I mean, I could talk for hours about it. So um, I'm happy to go into them with people and, and even go into them here. But the point is, when you boil it down, you need to set your own agenda and you also need to realize that these issues are complex, they have a lot of variables, and you have to tackle each one of those variables when you're looking at the solution. Because if you do that, you're A, going to actually fix the topic that you're worried about, and B, you're going to be able to get more people on board because maybe someone disagrees with your approach on transportation, but they uh, they agree with your approach uh, on the energy side of things. And so you guys can work together on the energy side of things. But if you lump those two together and other variables and you just create one big plan, if you have that disagreement, you're not going to be able to find common ground. And so that's why you see so many climate bills in Congress that are not known by the public, but there are a lot of them in Congress that are smaller scale wins. And there's tons of bipartisan support where there wouldn't be on a Green New Deal, for example. So there are solutions out there, but you have to look at it from that perspective, in my opinion, to tackle something this large. And it might seem like, oh, these are just too small of steps. Well, small steps add up. And if you actually are focused on solving the problem, that is the most realistic way to get to a good solution. Small steps are better than no steps at all. And for a while, we were getting no steps at all. Let me ask, I just want to ask about a couple of uh, specific non- climate-related issues One that you'd mentioned. One has to do with oceans. And, of course, the big thing lately, there's been a lot of attention to uh, plastic in the oceans, right? Because, you know, however many tons of plastic are going in the oceans and you have apparently these, you know, giant, like, floating semi, semi-islands of plastic going around and it kills marine life, blah, 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 blah. And... The right. big policy solution that folks here have come up mm-hmm. with is uh, banning plastic straws at um, in restaurants or whatever. And which I don't, you know, <laughs> it does not seem to be. It, there seems to be a little bit of a mis- mismatch with the task in all sorts of ways. In fact, I, I remember recently I was at a restaurant and I asked them, "Can I, you know, can I have a straw?" And they're like, "No, no, no, we're not, we're not doing straws." to you know reduce plastic because we want to protect the environment and by the way here is your plastic silverware <laughs> for your meal um I, I i think that you know the the reputation perhaps sometimes deserved of the environmental movement is that it's about inconveniencing people in various you know everyday ways sometimes major sometimes minor and you kind of get the feeling like it's sort of like, you know, if you eat something and it tastes really horrible, you assume it must be healthy, right? It must be good for you because otherwise it wouldn't taste so bad. And the, the, some of this plastic straw ban or some of this other stuff, there seems to be almost almost an element of that of, well, it must be helping because it's inconvenient, right? Even even though it doesn't really seem to be doing much. What's the alternative, right? What you know? What else that can we do that that busybody people would think might actually solve the the pro- a problem like that? 
Well, I mean, ocean pollution is a behemoth of an issue. Um, and that's not a word I use very often. Um, I almost had to look that up because I needed to remember what that exactly meant. But it is a behemoth of an issue. And plastic straws, banning them is not the solution. If you look at Starbucks cups, for example, which everyone loves their Starbucks. If you go in and buy an iced tea, you get this big plastic cup that used to have a straw and some in some areas still does, but in some areas has a little sippy cup now. Um, is the problem the straw or is it the huge plastic cup that you're getting that is still there after the banning of plastic straws? Which is the problem? Now, in my opinion, it's the plastic cup and the de- the data back- backs that up. Plastic straws are just such a small minority of plastic waste. And while if you want to take care of our oceans, using less plastic straws is no doubt a better thing than using plastic straws, but it's not going to solve the issue by any stretch of the imagination. And it's not even like a step in the right direction, really. Um, and the vast, 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 vast majority of plastic comes from Asian countries that are polluting at an astronomical level. And there's no, there, that's not an excuse for inaction, but it's important to take into consideration when you're like, well, they're polluting 95% of the ocean pollution and we're polluting like point, you know, whatever percent should we put mandatory bans on people for a small little thing that doesn't contribute like that just makes people angry and hurts the conversation from having real results so what are those real results it's going to stem from two things in my opinion one is consumer awareness we do have a problem in the united states with plastic usage i mean people carry around plastic water bottles all the time we go to starbucks all the time there are there, we rely on plastics all the time. And if you think about how many plastics you recycle, whether that's like eating your hummus dip or buying some fruit, there's a lot of plastic and that doesn't just disappear. It, it is a problem how much plastic we use. So the awareness aspect is having everyone decrease it as much as possible. There are some areas where it's not, I mean, there's some it's not always possible to decrease your plastic usage. Like if you're going to buy fruit, you have to buy fruit. Or um, if you're going to buy hummus, you have to buy hummus. But maybe you could use a reusable water bottle. Or maybe you could use Tupperware to carry your sandwich to work every day instead of a plastic bag. And at the end of the day, it ends. most of those like plastic-saving mechanisms often save money. So like that individual aspect, again, collectively as a, as a populace, does make a difference and it stems to other countries especially if we have that culture here because people emulate us now the second part of it is is there a government role to play in plastic pollution i would actually argue yes especially in other countries um and if we had a bigger problem here i would i would probably even think about advocating for for some sort of action but right now I believe the majority of what needs to happen is going to come from consumers because consumers can demand that Hilton hotels reduce their plastic impact by having shampoo bottles and pumps in their showers instead of having the little plastic things every single time someone comes into the room, regardless of if it was used or not. And so you're just wasting endless resources. And you know what? It also costs Hilton more money to have all these little plastic bottles than have one big pump. And as a consumer, I would rather have the pump because I care about the environment and it just makes 
legitimately more sense. So, but consumers have to drive that and consumers have to tell Coca-Cola that they need to reduce their plastic usage. And you know what? It's not the consumer's job to come up with that solution, but the solutions are out there. There are sustainable ways to make products, whether that's compostable plastic, which is really prevalent in the city of Seattle where I live, which is compostable in a lot of facilities. And so instead of it being recycled or put in the landfill, it's legitimately composted. There are those types of solutions. Um, there's also just the solutions of glass and other types of reuse, like tin uh, and aluminum is really a lot better for the environment. There are so many solutions that don't have to come from government, but they can come from saying, you know what, I'm going to stop purchasing X because I don't like their plastic policies. You know, I'm going to go in and, you know, make my own iced tea every day instead of going to Starbucks every day. And whoa, if I do that, I'm actually saving on average like a thousand dollars a year. Like literally I I make my own iced tea and I save like a thousand dollars a year. It's insane. So these things make economical sense, but we just need to be more bullish about it as a human populace. Um, again, that doesn't mean that there's not a government role to it, but most of these solutions are actually consumer driven because the products are consumer products and it's up to us to decrease our usage and demand better. Last question. We often like to ask our guests, what is their favorite movie related to the topic of the conversation? So do you have a favorite environmentally themed movie of one sort or another? Yes, actually. And that is Planet Earth. And the reason why I say that is it's obviously a show and most people know what it is. The problem with people who, quote unquote, don't care about the environment or don't prioritize it is that they have never been truly exposed to the beauties of nature. When you watch the show Planet Earth, which I know Netflix has its own version now too. So you've got a Netflix version and a BBC version. You see how delicate nature is and you see how much of an impact it plays in our day-to-day lives whether it's the saharan desert with no population at all um with just endless just endless vast desert or if it's a, a bustling metropolis of new york city there is a stake for nature in every community everywhere in the globe and it's so so delicate and we as humans have been contributing for many, many centuries, especially in the last century, at ruining what has been given to us, which is beautiful. It is just incredible. And if you stand in a mountain area or if you stand by a river and you just reflect, it is a magical experience. A show like that exposes you to it, to places that you're never going to be able to go in your lifetime and just helps you understand how important being passionate about nature and the environment is and why it's so important to vote on it because it's not an issue that affects you in your day-to-day everyday lives like your paychecks and your health care and everything but in the longevity of this of our planet and of our entire lives it is vital that we take care of nature and that show does an incredible job of exposing us to all the different ecosystems all the different parts of the world, all the different types of wildlife, and how literally every population of a species and of flora and fauna are hanging by a thread at all times, regardless of human activity or not. And we are, as humans, cutting that piece of thread, and it's up to us to stop doing that 
and to stand together for the beautiful places that we call home and that we see in an amazing show like Planet Earth. So that's what I love to watch when I want to feel uplifted and when I want to remember why we're doing what we're doing at ACC, why that is my passion as an individual is the environment. There's no better no better show to do that than Planet Earth. All right. So our guest today has been Benji Backer. Uh, Benji, thank you very much for joining us. It's a pleasure. I love talking about my passion. Uh, I love talking about our movement, and I'm really glad that you invited me on. Excited uh, to, to see where this goes and, uh, and, and thankful for the opportunity. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's show, we ask that you would subscribe, leave favorable reviews, and tell your friends to tune in to the Urban Cowboys.